We're going to be in Exodus 32, but we're going to cover the chapters 24 through 31 in about five minutes. That's a TV first. In chapter 24, God calls Moses and Joshua to the top of Mount Sinai. God wants to talk to his servants. He wants to give them the tablets of stone with the law which is written on them. Now, have you ever thought what language did the Lord write in? Probably Hebrew. (laughs) And I was reading something about Moses. Moses was a very brilliant man. And some give him credit for establishing a written language in Egypt other than hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphics got to be a little cumbersome. If you wanted to write a letter, you had to chisel out a little figure or whatever. But anyway, and uh, so Moses has been given credit for giving the Egyptians a written language. Chapter 25, God spells out to Moses the details of simply receiving an offering. There was a pastor who confessed uh, he served on Chuck Smith's uh, team of interns that Chuck used to take in a bunch of guys and would put them through training. And he asked this one young man to open up a service and he was to pray a welcoming prayer, a God be with us type prayer, and he was to pray over the offering. After the service, Chuck called him aside and gave... uh, gave this pastor some details. He said, uh, we receive offerings here. We do not take up offerings. Just that terminology really bothered Chuck that this man would pray, well, at this time we're going to take up offerings. No, no, no. We receive offerings. And I thought that was interesting. But there are many Calvaries like ourselves that simply put a little box in the back and uh, on your way in or a way out, you can do your giving. We do not pass an offering plate. Some of you never noticed that, but we don't. (laughs) But we really try not to put an emphasis upon giving extra. You ever been in one of those services? If you've been to church, you've been in one of those services. And uh, we don't make mention of special needs and you need to be giving extra this week or anything like that. But Moses was instructed to receive willful offerings. Our giving of our time can be a type of offering for sure. We give our tithes and we give our offerings and it really that is the determining factor of our spirituality. What do we do with our time and our offerings? It, it, it's, it's amazing. In, uh, a lot of people will wrongly put their spirituality emphasis on gifts of the Spirit. That's a gift. God just simply gives you that. Uh, but uh, it is our obedience to giving of our time and offerings that really measure our faithfulness to God. Because we're to be good stewards. God wants that out of us. He wants us to be cheerful, willingful givers. 
and we give back to God simply because he's blessed our lives. I'm a little bit fearful not to be a giver, be honest with you. I don't want to ever withhold my offerings because I don't want God to take me and show me where my blessings come from. I'd rather just me, me give out a little bit and take for granted God is going to bless me. But our giving helps us keep a proper perspective on who supplies all of our needs. That's all it does. By the way, God doesn't need our money. Never has, never will. Uh, but God lay, then he lays out the details of the sanctuary, the pattern, the furnishings, and even priestly behavior to the Israelites. The Israelites were not allowed to be willy-nilly in the way they worshipped or the furnishings of the sanctuary. Their sanctuary was simply a tent, but it was a special place where God met with his people, Israel. And today, there is um, uh, a group called the Temple Institute who are trying to put all the things together for when the Jews rebuild their, or build their temple again and the furnishings that are going to be in there, the animals they're going to sacrifice in there, and even their order of service, these uh, priests or rabbis in the Temple Institute are getting all of that together because the Jews in their mind are still under the law. And being under the law, the structure of their temple, the way they sacrifice is extremely important to them. The very location of their temple is important to them. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation as to where on the Temple Mount could they build the temple without infuriating the whole Muslim world? And uh, so they look into these things. But on the flip side of that coin, we have uh, here sort of locally down in Falkville, there's a cowboy church. And they advertise themselves as a church with no fences. I kind of like that, partner. <laughs> that that kind of appeals to me, just the whole thought of it. A church with no fences, all right. But hopefully, on a serious note, I hope we understand as saints of God, we are the temple of God. You and I, God indwells us. Each of us is where God dwells. We are, quote unquote, the church. Some people ask me every now and then, where's your church located? I say, well, there's some in Tennessee, and there's some down in Madison, and there's some over. We're the church. <laughs> but uh, and, and a pet peeve of mine is when they say, well, uh, that's Mike McIntosh's church. No, it isn't. It's Jesus Christ's church. It's Chuck Smith's church. Uh-uh. It's Jesus's church. But God even spelled out to the Jewish people how the priests were to be consecrated to him and how they were to dress. He even cared about the garments they wore. And basically, I have just covered chapters 24 through 31. Now, wasn't that good?
and that's probably the most territory I've ever covered in one Sunday, but I'm not even finished, so I'm going to go on. Chapter 32. We pick up in chapter 32. Moses and Joshua are called to the top of Mount Sinai, and they have been up there with God for 40 days. So let's read Exodus 32, 1 through 6. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, This is our God, O Israel, that brought us out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And then they rose up the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Famous verse there. This fashioning of a golden calf happens in very short order of them just coming out of Egypt. They have, within the last three months, seen God part the Red Sea. They've seen Moses uh, strike the rock and water has come out of the rock. They've seen these things. But now Moses is gone for 40 days and the Israelites, and use a Christian term on you here, they completely backslide. You know what backsliding is? It's going the other way. (laughs) And here's the bad part. They're led by Aaron who receives the offering of the earrings and There might have even been some nose rings in there. And this is the same gold that the Israelites plundered from the Egyptians when they left Egypt. This gold has been a blessing to the Israelites, and it has made them basically wealthy. And now it's transformed into an idol. And there's a sermon in that right there, but we're not going to go there. Person that leads the people in this commandment, this prohibition of making an idol, is none other than Aaron, the high priest. Something wrong with that picture. <laughs> Back in Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are given, God commanded, He said, Don't make any golden or graven images to me, don't make anything and especially like a golden calf, to bow down to and serve. Now, the golden calf happened to be one of Egypt's favorite idols. A bull or a calf, it was a symbol of strength and fertility. Now, I know a little bit about cows and calves, And I'm very careful when I give my heifers, which weigh about a 1,000 pounds, I'm careful when I give them a little sweet feed. 
They're large, cumbersome animals, and they can hurt you without even knowing it. They're unruly beasts. The bulls, by the age of one, they're gone. They're history. Hamburger, whatever you want to say. But I've seen bulls do some really unruly things, like go right through a barbed wire fence. Nobody opened the gate for him, just went right through it. <laughs> and you go, how'd you do that? <laughs> but back to Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. But God has called Moses, not Aaron, to deliver Israel. Moses made all kinds of excuses to God. He says, I'm unqualified, God. Go get somebody else. I'm not even eloquent of speech. And God ends up allowing Aaron to come on the scene to be Moses' spokesman. And that's how Aaron got into the mix. But it doesn't take long for Aaron, the high priest of Israel, to show his sinful nature. Listen to the words of Aaron. This is your God, Israel, speaking of the calf, who brought you out of Egypt. And all I think is, can you say blasphemy? Blaspheming is ascribing the works of God to Satan or the works of Satan to God, either way. That is blaspheming. And, and Aaron has just said, hey, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And that is blasphemy. Now notice this Aaron's behavior. <clears throat> when he sees the calf in verse 5, Aaron erects an altar before it. Aaron wants to sacrifice before this golden calf. And then he says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. This idolatrous behavior is done in the name of the Lord. You go, and God's going, hey, I have nothing to do with this. Idolatrous behavior and then accrediting it to God. It's appalling. Aaron has just violated one of God's commandment, no graven images, and that's bad enough. But then Aaron tries to put God's sanction, God's approval on this golden calf. And this calf is your God, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And that's bad enough, like I said. But Aaron now, when he sees Moses come down from the mountain, he will tell a different story. So jump forward to verse 21, same chapter, and we see that Moses has a question for Aaron. What did this people do to you? that you have brought so great a sin upon them. Did they get you in a headlock, Aaron? Did they torture you? Did they, you know, what made, what did they do to make you do this? Moses, these people are evil. And that's a true statement, Aaron. But Aaron, you're the cheerleader. You're the one that's agging them on to do this willful sin. And then Aaron goes, the people brought their gold, I cast it into the fire, and out came this calf. No, 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 we just read where he fashioned this calf, you know. But it's a different story when he's confronted by Moses. 
And Aaron's got a reason to be afraid. For Moses' anger is hot. Moses must have been sort of a striking figure. <laughs> Remember, he killed an Egyptian because he didn't like that he was beating a Hebrew slave. And it says, Moses' anger is hot. Aaron's got a right to be afraid. And he gives the most feeble excuse, and he even lies about how the calf came into being, you know. And God has given Israel's instructions of how to worship him, even down to what the priests wear and how to receive offerings. And this golden calf is an affront to God himself. God cares how you and I worship. We're his people. He cares how we worship. The New Testament, the church of the New Testament is consistent in their method of worship. There would always be, in their gatherings, a time of worship, of singing songs, mostly psalms, to the Lord. They would always do this. There was always prayer being offered up to God for the needs of the people and just uh, prayers of uh, intercession and this kind of thing that went on. And there was always the teaching of the Word of God, the Old Testament scrolls and so forth. And they had communion on a regular basis. And this Wednesday evening, in the announcement, you heard me, we're going to have communion this Wednesday evening. So we are trying, as best we know how, to worship God as he lays out and describes. But Aaron, he's not the first one to ever falsely offer up worship. That distinction belongs to Cain, Adam and Eve's son, way, way back. Nor was Aaron the last to disobey God's commands even though he's a high priest. I often tell the men that are in ministry here, we have an opportunity, fellas, to do church like Scripture tells us to do church. That's our goal. We want to come together and worship God in a way that's pleasing to God. Aaron will come to understand, as a priest, he has an obligation to lead worship to God, God's way. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, or even if you've watched Christian TV, <laughs> I would venture to say you have witnessed things that displease God in worship. You hear my prayers each and every Sunday, and I almost always pray in some way, some fashion, that God will direct our service by his spirit. We want to be doing things the way God wants them done here. We are to worship God as he desires, and we are to ascribe him worth that is due his name. Now see if you can tell who this is. There's a lady, and she's co-pastor of a mega church in Texas. And they meet in a basketball arena. 
She described praise and worship being good for us, the people, because it makes us feel good when we worship. Time out. (laughs) We worship God because he's worthy of our worship. Not to feel good. The feel good can or cannot be a byproduct. And those chapters that we just skimmed over, they're all about instructions as how Israel is to worship God. I think it becomes our duty as a Christian to worship in obedience and in truth. We owe it to our Lord to at least be obedient to him and to worship him from a true heart. And we at Calvary Chapel, we can get a little too loose sometimes in our worship services because God places a high priority on obedience to his word. If you didn't catch that, I'll say it again. God places a high priority in obedience to his word. And because we're not under the law, we're under the new covenant of grace, that does not give us an excuse to worship any old way we please. Now, I was raised in a church. I've been going to church all of my life, ever since I can remember. I have attended some very emotional, charismatic-type churches. And I have attended some what they call high church, stuffy, dried out churches. (laughs) In the emotional churches, I've heard things like, we got so carried away in worship and singing our songs that the pastor didn't even get an opportunity to preach. I've heard those things. You probably have too. In the dry, stoic church, I've heard, heard one man declare, We don't need to open our services with prayer because we're already children of God, so why do we pray? I go, yeah, there you go. (laughs) So you've got the extremes on both ends. Our worship methods were established back in the early church in the book of Acts, and we are to follow those. Now, we have a lot of freedom. We have a lot of areas that we can branch off into. But make sure you're worshiping God in song and in prayer, teaching of his word, in the fellowship of the saints, in communion. These are the basics of worship. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you may want to turn there, King Saul has been rebuked by Samuel the prophet for not obeying God's command. Saul has been disobedient to God, for God has commanded Saul to kill all the Amalekites and even down to killing all their animals. Now, does that sound harsh? Well, yeah, it sounds harsh. But who else but God could say, kill them all, and that's a good thing? Only God could say that because God sees their very future. He sees what they're going to turn out to be. And he says, hey, just go ahead and get rid of them. 
So let me read 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel is truly disturbed with Saul's behavior. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Saul has learned to talk Christianese, and he that's back before you could be a Christian. <laughs> he has learned religious lingo. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? I don't say to you, praise God, unless, you know what? I mean, praise God. I try my best not to just fill in the blank spaces with Christian vernacular. Uh-uh. I, I, I just refuse to that. It was a, something I decided long ago that I wouldn't try to do. Uh, we'll let it go there. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul, the sound of the animals, declare your disobedience. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I like that. Just put a lid on it, Saul. <laughs> and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on or go ahead. Tell me what's on your heart, Samuel. And Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Saul, you've been given specific instruction. You've been sent on a mission, and you have failed. And then Samuel goes, Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoils and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And, and Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalekite, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, and the best of things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Saul is basically saying, it was the people, Samuel, that made me do it, not me. So Samuel said, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, again, another word for obey, better than the fat of rams. Obedience supersedes 
sacrifice, obedience. For rebellion is a sin of rich craft, and stubbornness is, is an iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Saul's disobedience disqualifies him from being king of Israel. A severe price to pay for being disobedient. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord your Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Obedience is very important to our Lord. Jesus summed it up this way. If you love me, obey me. That's how we show our love of our Lord, obeying him. Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.